good morning, church. Good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the book of uh, Psalm, and we're going to be looking at Psalm 22 today as we're going through the series on the brink. Um, this is a series where we're covering through the life of David. We've been going uh, through this for the past month or so, and uh, the key thing of what we're trying to engage with in this passage and, and in, in this, this whole series is looking at the life of David, but not merely on the surface of David's life where it's uh, the key events, but looking at the events underneath the events, um, looking at the events that, that actually are, are these amazing, victorious, crippling horrible failures all across the map and realizing that the good news of God speaks into each one of those. That the gospel, the good news, is not just something that we, we do when, we're, when we pray to receive Jesus, when we put our trust in what he did on the cross. The good news is something that took place leading us to that point. The good news is, in fact, the, the work of Christ on the cross, but the good news continues on until we take our final breath and we see him face to face when our work and that moment will be done. When he will have completed us in this point. And we've been talking about being on the brink of a breakthrough as this totally unlikely shepherd boy gets called into service, on the brink of being royally unappreciated as David uh, was in service with, uh, to someone who is absolutely uh, just a toxic environment and yet still in the midst of that finding himself as someone who's fulfilling his purpose in God in spite of the, the just absolutely messed up uh, conditions. And as we're getting into this week, we're talking about being on the brink of a breakdown. Everyone in here, if we had the time, we could go around, we could just pass a microphone, and we could just all share just massive uh, stories of difficulty. Uh, in fact, m- many people here would even say, could give accounts of depression, uh, of seasons where it was absolutely dark, or seasons that you're still in, or seasons that, you know what, up until 10, I felt like I was just writing, I was just completely optimistic, I had a whole bunch of joy in my heart, I was a kid, but then from junior high on, all of a sudden something came over me to the point that I no longer had the ability to maintain the mindset that I once had. In fact, the concept of joy is distant from me. And, and for some of us, this is, this is a reality um, that is a, a situational thing. These bad things have happened, which has led to the most dark period of my life. I am processing things dark now because of these events. We have situational depression. But there's also clinical depression. I don't know why I feel this way. I can't quite wrap my brain around why, why I, this is so dark and I can't control my mind. And I wish that I could control my mind, but I can't. I was watching a documentary in, in a in preparation for this on depression that leads to suicide. And in it, there was a mother um, who had just the most talented of daughters, the most beautiful of daughters, everything was going great, and she couldn't understand why her daughter was, was just going through this darkness. And her, uh, her counsel to her daughter was just, you know, get yourself out of the house, just go, go start dating, start, get yourself plugged in, get active. If you do these things, you're going to get out of this funk. I mean, you've got to just start moving and, and just, and uh, why, this is, it's all in your head, you know, just keep on moving and get out of this, not understanding that this, this crippling, crippling depression that she was engaging in, that she was going through, was something that was far beyond just getting out of the house and just getting active. And she finally came to the realization that her daughter was, was being plagued by something that um, there was no just easy fix or easy cure. And then she, made, she had this account. She said, you have, um, when people um, hear that you're struggling with something else, they have a much different response than with mental illness. You have cancer? Oh, how terrible. The phone rings off the hook. Tell us what we can do. How can we help you? You have a mental problem? No one says a word. No 
one speaks of it, it's not heard of. Within the Christian community, um, we have rightfully earned uh, a reputation for trying to be the type of people who gloss over mental illness and even uh, mental difficulty or depression. And I, I'm, I'm just going to be completely upfront with you that I am massively guilty of that. Because I am someone who, when, if you're sitting down and talking with me and you're like, I, this, I am struggling with this, I'm like, I can fix this. I'm going to get you out of this. You're in this pit, I got the rope. You know? Now, if that's frustrating, if you're sitting in my office, imagine being married to me. Julie, I mean, whenever she's got, you know, it's like, oh, I'm just, just like, hey, it's, you know what? It's not as bad as you think. It's not as bad as you think. Come on. Just, just look at it differently and it, the whole thing gets better. And, and it's absolutely unnerving for her. I wish these things worked, but they don't. The truth is, is that oftentimes we portray and project onto scripture this Pollyanna-ish uh, perspective on life that when once you come into the faith, once you start following God, everything gets easier, everything gets smoother, and from this point on, all of a sudden we are just it, it is smooth sailing. Why? Because we're we're walking with the King of Kings. How could things not be? And totally divorcing ourselves from the biblical reality, which is much different. See, scripture, when we're looking at scripture, it does not do a couple things. One thing it does not do is diminish the existential difficulty of depression. Every, every book of the Bible, every, every hero of the faith, look at them, listen to their voices, whether it's Elijah or David or Moses, and listen to the, listen to the existential depression of what's going on. In researching this, there's people who look at the life of David, look at his life, look at his responses, and look at the lyrics of the poetry that he wrote and said, this guy is clinically depressed. Every single individual, you hear more and more through the surface, just resurfacing over and over again through scripture. God, I just, I'm done. I'm done with life. I can't handle this. And by the way, where are you? I don't know where you are. I, can't, I don't see you. Job, of, of all people, he had, in, in Job 23, identifies this by saying, you know what? I look to the north, and I don't see God there. I look to the south, I have no evidence of his presence. I look to the east, I'm, I don't hear his voice. I look to the west, and there's no, there's no, there's no accounting for his goodness there. Through surface through scripture, you see surface time and time again, not this diminishing of, of, of the difficulty of depression, but the realization of it. In fact, it even like uh, turns uh, a corner on people like me who want to just try to help you out of your problems by giving you a, a happy word or you know, whatever by saying this in Proverbs, he who sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on a wound. You might be someone struggling with depression and you've got a bunch of vinegar people putting vinegar all over your wounds and thinking that they're helping you when they're just making everything worse and more abrasive. And this could be your mom, this could be your dad, this could be your spouse, this could be your pastor. We may do that, but scripture does not. Scripture also does not slap a formulaic easy fix on us in order to evacuate us out of our darkest seasons. In fact, in fact, it does just the opposite. See, one of the things that we see through the, the ministry of David is the poetry that he write, wrote and, and others wrote in the Psalms. The largest section of Psalms, like if you categorize the themes of Psalms, the largest section is call, are called Psalms of Lament. These are Psalms uh, that are vehicles to get into the vehicle and go through a sad period with. These, these, are, these are, are Psalms that are intended not to 
take all the pain and sweep it under the rug and pretend like it's not there, but to say, here it is. And you know what? On top of that, here's our questions for God. We don't understand why we're going through this. We don't understand why this is happening to our family. We don't get why this is taking place in our vocation. But here it is. In fact, we're, we're going to get to the end of this poem, and we're not going to have the answers to these questions. Psalms of Lament, the intention of it was to walk through, to have, a, 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 again, a vehicle for people to actually go through sorrow, not avoid it. But the backbone, the backbone of, la- of lament is hope. And the fact that th- these psalms of lament are addressed to someone, they're, they're addressed to the Lord. That these psalms of lament, that this is not a destination, that these are, these are, these are la- lamentation, sorrow is the, is the road that we have to be on if we're going to get to joy. That if we try to just ping pong out of lament and get to joy, we will never get there because we will never have gone through the work of what God may be having us in this season to do in the first place. Listen to the honesty of Psalm 62. I'm sorry, 22. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long? Lord, how long? Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? I am worn out from my groaning. Have you ever felt that way? Where you've gone through such an emotionally heavy season or day that you just feel exhausted? Felt like you, you like ran, ran a marathon and, and all you did was just process what was going on at work, process what was going on in the fight that you had at home. I am worn out from my groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. One psychologist looked at the Psalms of Lament and, and said, it's really interesting. The very thing that psychologists try to do in helping people go through the different stages of grief, the Psalms of Lament do. They start off surfacing the issue, the problem. This is the problem. Where are you? Why is this happening? And all of a sudden, they they transition out of that into ultimately going from absolute depression to acceptance, from from absolute just chaos to some type of uh, solidarity with, with, with who God is. One of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 42. And if you look up Psalm 42, it says that it's, 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 um, it's a psalm of the sons of Korah, which is not David. But uh, Charles Spurgeon, and I agree with him, believes that, that the sons of Korah, the guys who are credited for this psalm, probably lifted the lyrics from, uh, from one of David's uh, psalms, or at least plagiarized it pretty significantly, because this is so Davidic in, in the communication of going through this agony, which ultimately leads to reconciliation with who God is. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while men have said to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar, deep calls to deep. In the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. That deep calls to deep, I I always wondered what that meant. 
It sounds really poetic and, and, and neat, but it's a Hebrew phrase which basically is describing the process of drowning. It's not a beautiful poetic thing. It's this idea of, of, of wave after wave hitting. Uh, the word uh, deep right there is, is the word to home. And Tehom is a word that, that you see all throughout uh, the Old Testament scriptures. It's in Genesis 1-2 talking about the depths of the world, uh, the darkness of the waters before God got his handiwork in there to bring about land. It's this, this chaotic, unrefined, unpredictable body of water that's deep and it's dark. It's the same word used to describe the depths of the Red Sea that God parted in order to get his people through. It's, it's the word that, that leads to the word for flood that Noah is describing. When God judged the world, he judged it in this deep, dark, chaotic reality. And, and honestly, it's the, it's the word of uh, the, the concept of being just swept over by waves over and over and over again. When I was growing up um, in Southern California, a real easy uh, weekly of uh, activity that we did with our youth group was just get into a, uh, the church van and we would drive on out to Huntington Beach. We went to Huntington Beach because it was way better than Redondo Beach. Redondo Beach was great, but Huntington Beach had waves. In fact, they had a wave section. Like they, uh, Their waves were so good that surfers couldn't surf in this certain uh, area. They had the, these flags with these black balls on them. This, is a, this, this part of the, the beach is blackballed from surfers because there's too much of a riptide. And, and, the, tr- and the thing about it is, is that it was, the, the riptide was, was so strong that it created these beautiful waves that you could play in and enjoy. But if you were a surfer and you actually wanted to get beyond those waves, it actually had the ability to pull you deep, deep, deep into the ocean. And I remember the day when I was out there, and I, I just wanted to get to just a little bit further to this next wave set, just because I was out there just with a, with a bodyboard and just having a good time out there. And I got out there, and I got chucked from this one wave. It just it sent me up and then shot my body right into the water, and I, my face just went right into the sand, and I just got a mouthful of sand and salt water. And then my spine just went like this and flipped me over and started spinning me around underwater to the point where I couldn't tell which side was up or down. And I'm not panicking yet because I'm holding my breath. I'm like, this is all good. But eventually, I, uh, my equilibrium settles and I realize where up is. And I get up to the surface. As soon as I do, I need to get oxygen. Because I've been not panicking up to this point. But, but at this point, I really need to get some water. And as soon as I, I need to get some air, not water. As soon as I get up to the surface, all of a sudden, that next massive wave just slaps me in the face. Spins me around. And I don't have oxygen. Now I'm panicking. I'm trying to, my equilibrium is still messed up from swirling around and I'm getting up just in time to get hit by another wave by another wave and that was the one moment where I thought this could be it this could be, this is I'm, I'm done to home this idea of the depths hitting you over and over billowing waves over and over again is the idea that just keeps coming and there is no there's no 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 relief and it and it just feels like waves of depression that are hitting me over and over and over Again, somebody in that, that documentary put it this way. The word, I, the word that comes to my mind is hell. I feel like I'm living in a prison in my mind. I feel like things are never going to get better. I feel like the hopelessness I have, the sadness I have, the lack of motivation, the lack of direction will never, ever change. I'm always going to feel this way. The only way to escape these feelings is to sleep. If you want to listen to happy music that's going to get you out of a bad mood, I would recommend Peter, Paul, and Mary. (laughs) However, Peter Yarrow of Peter, Paul, and Mary has struggled with depression his entire life. 
and he accounts on how every time they would, get, he would, they would finish a concert, he would get off stage and he would just collapse into the arms of his manager and he had to be dragged into his, his dressing room just because he was so absolutely torn up inside. He describes today his depression this way. It's like the gray cloud that comes over you and obscures all positive thought. You are living in a state that is not to you frequently worth it. You would in that moment prefer to be dead. Life is an endless series of events which eradicate all hope. See, scripture does not simply dismiss our pain. And it also doesn't give us easy fixes out of our pain. In fact, if anything, we see that, that Scripture is calling us for the way through it. In fact, what Scripture does is, is so much better than those things. It instead provides the most realistic perspective on our mental suffering while simultaneously providing the most optimistic and hopeful approach through our suffering. See, if you're, if you're, if you're suffering, if your depression is situational, then you can point to things. This is my upbringing. This is what happened at work. This is what happened with uh, someone that I, I've loved. This is the brokenness of this relationship. This is my inabilities that are, I'm now coming face to face with. Whatever the, those situational things are, if your depression is rooted in those things, well, you can point to those things. And what scripture does is helps you understand, yes, you are living in a broken world where relationships break where all the peace that seems to be sustainable at work finishes, when all the, all the, the, the health that we once had, that, that we, we took for granted, evaporates. We live in a broken world that has been broken by sin. That's a realistic reality. But the optimistic reality is that we have hope in the midst of that. What if, you had, what if your depression isn't situational? What if it's clinical? You don't know why you're thinking like this. You can't point to my parents, my work, my upbringing, my relationships. It's just, it's this prison that's in your mind. And you have clinical depression that, that there is no hope out. You're, you've been in the situation where you've, you've totally thought, I don't need any medication. And then you realized you did and you went and got medication. But then you realized that you needed medication to counterbalance the side effects of the medication. And then you got medication that worked for a while. But still, while taking it, you knew that it wasn't the complete picture because it still didn't make you whole and you feel trapped. Well, for you, Scripture gives the most realistic perspective on our mental suffering. You were born into a world where our bodies are born broken. Most of us, most of us go through life and we have most of the functions of our body. But like my son Micah, Micah was born with a uh, thick pulmonary valve in a valve in his heart, actually. And, and that valve made it so that four years after he was born, he had to have a little procedure, a little surgery to be able to widen that out. He didn't choose that. That wasn't because of something Julie and I did. It just happened. He was just born with, with a brittleness and, and a thickness in his heart. If you, if you get in a car accident, you're going to have some body damage. That where you, where you may have a broken bone, that happens, and you would go to the doctor. Just like my son being born with, some, with, with, the, with a defect, just like you and I, if we injured our body, would have a defect, our brain is no different. Our brain can be born broken with the inability to process things, just as, just as much as someone who was born without the ability to completely have all the functions of their hand. If that's your story, you should not feel ashamed of it. And you should not feel like hiding it. 
And as Christians, we should not feel like dismissing it, but instead saying, the reality is, is you were born into a world that's broken. But you have the optimistic reality that this is not the end of the story. Uh, Psalm 42 ends by both embracing the reality of our suffering and embracing the hope of it, out of it. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. The good news, the good news is that we are able to face our depression in spite of our pain and we can find God in the midst of it. We, we don't have to be paralyzed by our pain and just like, this just hurts so much I can't even really face this depression or I feel like I want to dismiss it and get it out. No, we can actually look it right in the face. We can acknowledge it we can, and say, this is either situational or it's clinical, but it's there. But in, in, in addition to that, we don't, are not merely just calling it to the surface. We're also actually acknowledging the fact that God is here in the midst of it. Now, David in his Psalms um, would, would oftentimes personify the pain that he was going through. It was more than just uh, something that was happening to him. It actually took on, uh, on, on a reality that was all, almost anthropomorphic, almost like it was a person in his life that was haunting him, that he was trying to deal with with the Lord. And so I, I'm going to give just two responses to our mental pain, but they're responses that speak one word to the mental pain we're going through and one word to the Lord who can actually deliver us through this. The first is this. Say to the mental pain, this is our response, say to the mental pain you're experiencing right now, you are not the final word on my current reality. One of the most biblical things we can do is not, again, dismiss the fact that we're going through mental pain, but instead say to that mental pain, you are not the final word on my current reality. You are part of my current reality. You are part of my story for sure, but you are not the final word. You're not even the loudest word on my current reality. Is this something that I'm going through? Yes. Is this the whole story? It's not. Instead, I'm able to say that to my mental pain, but I'm also able to respond to the Lord Jesus. You are the final word. You are the final word on my pain. And when I'm going through pain, I can acknowledge this is happening. I can't get out of my bed. I don't want to leave my house. I can't handle this situation with my my family. I can't handle the situation at work. But that is not the final word on my current situation. The final word is Jesus. Because, Because he's the final word, we can say to him, you are God's voice singing over me in my distress, Zephaniah 3.17. We can go back to scripture and see that Jesus, you are the light when all I see is darkness, John 8.12. You are the way when all I feel is lost, John 14.6. You are the truth when I'm believing all the lies about myself. And you are the life when I can't see the point of living. If you've come to a place of saying, I just don't feel like going one more day, you are not alone. You are not alone. Not in this church and not in scripture. Even Jesus in the garden came to a point of saying, I am in anguish, anguish to the point of death. I have nothing, there's nothing inside of me in this moment that makes me want to continue on. And the truth is, though we are hit by waves over and over and over again, each wave after wave pushes me down, we can say to Jesus, you know something about waves. Mark 4.41, the disciples said, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Jesus had this crazy tendency of not saying, okay, I want you guys to be my disciples, and so we're going to go, we're going to have the best food, we're going to go to the best resorts in all of Israel, and we're going to actually, it's going to be awesome, because you're going to go ahead and come with me, and it's going to be a cakewalk. No, he constantly was bringing his disciples into precarious situations, difficult situations, and most poignantly, situations where they had no control. 
Now, one of the best ways you could take a group of guys who never went to a public pool to learn how to swim to help them understand they have no control is to put them in the middle of a body of water where there's to home, there's depth. And everyone, every single person in, in, the, in biblical times understood that those bodies of water were so sketchy because you could be out there and everything's perfect and all of a sudden the storm front comes in and that boat starts to just totally just rock all over the place. And you, being a person who does not know how to swim or does not know how to swim well, is freaking out. And so Jesus takes them out, of, out there, allows the storm to hit them, and he takes a nap. And they're trying to do everything they can just to keep everything together. And Jesus is sleeping. And they wake him up. And they're like, are you not afraid of this? Well, well, are you not afraid to die? What does Jesus do? Stands up. With a word. Silences everything. And Mark 4, 41 says, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Jesus would take them into the most precarious situations out on the water and say, hey, you want to come out here with me? You come out here with me, and you're going to be solid. Yeah, everything is topsy-turvy, but you come out here with me, and it's solid. Take your eyes off me in the midst of this, and you're going to sink. What was he doing? Conditioning his disciples, who are going to go through some of the darkest days of their life, who are going to see the darkest seasons of their family's life happen, not in spite of Jesus, but because of Jesus. He was reminding them over and over again, it, you are not alone in this. We need to respond by saying, you are not the final word of my current reality and say to Christ, you are the final word. But we also need to come back to our, our just mental state and say, to our, to our mental pain that we're experiencing right now, you're not, not only are you not the, my, the, the final word of my current reality, but you're also not the end of my story. Like this is happening. Yeah, this is totally happening, but this is not the end of it. This is not the end of my story. This is not the end of my story. And for some of you, if, if you have been going through depression and it's been feeling like forever, decades, and you're wondering, will I ever get to a point of ever having any relief of this? Or is this going to be a lifer for me? Scripture gives us no promise that you're going to be alleviated of that until your dying day. This may be something that haunts you every day of your life. But that's not the final word. It's not the end of the story. And every day that you're going through this depression, you can be reminded of the reality that we can say to our mental pain, you're not the end of our story. But instead, we could say to the Lord Jesus Christ, thanks to your sacrificial work of grace, I will be restored. I will be restored. This is not the end. This is not the end. Either I'm going to come to a day where this is no longer this dark cloud in my life, praise God, or I'm going to come to my last day And I will be restored at that point that you will make me new. That you're going to be the one that actually brings me out of this. Psalm 22. After all the difficult language that David pours out towards God, he ends it this way. Psalm 22, starting with verse 25. From you comes the the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you will I fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied They who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord. And he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All those who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, for he 
has done it. This chapter, this, this poetry, poetic outpouring of David communicating, where are you? I don't see you. I, I, I don't understand why you're not delivering me. That starts, but it ends with him coming to a realization of, even though I don't see how this is all going to work out, even though I don't have the answers of how you're going to iron this out, I know that one day you're going to come, to, we're all going to come to a point where our response is simply going to be to you that this man, this Jesus, this God, he has done it. When you have Jesus on the cross, he, he reminds us that it is finished. When you fast forward to the end of the book of Revelation, Revelation 21, Jesus says, he, he tells everyone, he says, see what I've done. I've made all things new. In this earth, we are going to be walking days where we have no clue how to get through the day. Days where it's so difficult and so heavy and so dark that we, we, we don't understand what's going on. We don't know how to get out of it. When we're going through those days, we need to be reminded of the fact that he has already accomplished the end story. And if you're in him, that's fixed. There's nothing that can happen that will separate you from God's love. There's nothing that can happen that will separate you from that final reality. If you're looking for a light at the end of the tunnel, it's a reality at the end of the tunnel. And every day between now and that, we can be reminded of the fact that we are not alone. Uh, Pastor Carlos reminded me of this passage last night, Psalm 56, another Psalm of David, where he said, you keep track of all my sorrows. You've collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. If you're currently going through a really dark season right now, and it's situational, you could point to why. This happened at this job. This happened in this relationship. This happened at school. This happened because of my stress, whatever. You have a situation. You need to know you are not alone. You are not alone. And this is not the end of the story. If you're going through a dark season right now and you don't know why you're going through a dark season right now, and your mind is racing with all the difficulties just to keep your mind controlled, you need to know you're not alone. You are not alone. And this is not the end of the story. It will not always be this way. If you're in Christ, you have so many more years ahead of you free of this than not. We need to be reminded of that fact. Uh, one of the things that as a, as a people of God that we do to remind ourselves of this over and over again is to come to the Lord's table where we're reminded of the fact of what it took for us to be restored, to what it took for us to actually experience that. Um, I'm going to pray. And as soon as I'm finished praying, um, I want to encourage you to do this. If you're someone in the, in, in, in the family, if you're someone who's a follower of Jesus, I don't care if you, you're a tender of this church or not. If you're a follower of Jesus, this table is for you. You're gonna, we'll dismiss you out from your rows on the left-hand side. You'll go to a table that's closest to you. Take the bread, take the cup, and return on your right-hand side. And spend some time in that moment in reflection. Spend some time in that moment coming before the Lord and simply responding to him saying, right now, I'm, this is where I'm at. This is where I'm at in my darkness. This is at where I'm in my life. This is the distance I have from you. But I'm reminded of the fact that you did this to bring me close. Spend some time in that. And as, as you're reflecting, and as you're, before we take the, the elements together, I want you to be listening to the song that's being sung from uh, Pastor Carlos, and uh, Kim is playing it. It's Psalm 42. And it's a psalm that, that reminds us, the, the same psalm that we read, it, that reminds us of the hope of God. But it's got an awesome twist at the end where it helps remind us that our final hope the hope that David was looking for and longing for, the hope that gets us as Christians through the day is Christ. 
and his accomplishment on the cross. Let's pray, and then you'll be dismissed to receive communion. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for the truth that we are, uh, we, that we are not alone, that because of your work, we are reminded afresh and anew of your ongoing ministry to us in communion, God. We are, every time we take it, Lord, we're reminded of the fact that you've given us your body, you've given us your blood. The means of accomplishing this task were, were right, right there, and yet this was something that was not cheap, it was not inexpensive, it cost you your life. Lord, wherever we're at today, however distant we are, no matter how dark it is, God, I pray that right now in this moment, you allow this space for us to do business with you, perhaps return to you, perhaps surrender an aspect of our heart over to you. Stop hiding. We give you thanks for that. In Jesus' name, amen. As the heart longs for flowing streams, so longs my soul for you, O God. My soul does thirst for the living God. When shall I come to see your face? Oh
after Jesus and his disciples shared the Passover meal, which is where we get our communion from, the breaking of bread, wine, he invested into it a brand new perspective. This was no longer looking backwards to the fact that God took his people in the darkest season of their life where there was no hope and saved them and passed over. He liberated them. But that Jesus was talking about a new liberation that was going to be for you and for me. This new covenant was going to be built and based on his holiness, not ours. And after that, he goes into the garden. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell on his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but you will. The thing that brought Jesus to his darkest day, the most sorrowful moment, the sorrowful to the point of death, he said, was the realization that he was going to take on all of the judgment that he didn't deserve, all the pain that wasn't warranted him, warranted to you and I, but he took it. That's what brought him to that point. He said that in order for that to take place, someone had to give their life. And Jesus willingly did take this in remembrance of him. Then he returned to his disciples. He found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. In that moment, our Lord Jesus Christ communicated to the Heavenly Father, if there's any way for this darkness to pass, if there's any way to accomplish what we want to accomplish without this, may it happen. But if not, your will be done. Jesus walked through that garden with people. First with all of his disciples, then with just three that he could share just a little bit more of his heart with. But whenever we put our hope in people, we will be disappointed. But the truth is that God created us for a relationship with him and with one another. That's why we take communion within the congregation. We're reminded that, that he has crafted us to go through our deepest points together. But ultimately, Jesus walks even away from those three He falls on his face before the Heavenly Father. When we take communion, we're reminded of the greatest work that ever could have been accomplished for us is not by somebody else, not by a spouse, a loved one, a job, but by the King of Kings, our Savior Jesus, who gave his life for us. Take this in remembrance of him. As we transition to a point of worship, a response. We want to create space for you to do business with God. We're going to have some friends of ours, uh, pastors, and, uh, and, and some, some of our friends that are going to be up here willing to pray. If you're going through a dark season, 
You're going through a period where you need some prayer. You do not want to go through this alone, or you just need prayer because this is something that you feel like you can't get out of. You know you need God's help. I want to encourage you during the songs to come forward and spend a few moments in prayer with one of us up front. And let that be an aspect of our worship and response to our Heavenly Father. Amen? Amen. Please stand.